Revelation chapter 20. Uh, actually, actually, we'll be in 22. 20 is kind of crazy, so we're going to go to we're going to 22, where it gets a little less crazy. So the season of Advent is here, and you know there are uh, each each year it is a little bit different, especially when Christmas falls when it does. And so there are some who uh, began at their Advent season last week. Depends on where you start your your counting from, and so we're starting this week, and uh, we are also at the same time lifting a fast uh, as a church that we uh, put into place a month ago. the The point of the fast was to uh, really point us toward um, a discerning and prayerful process as we and Sherwood Baptist Church try to discern whether or not God has us uh, forming a union between the two groups to more effectively make disciples uh, within the ch- in our churches and within our city. And so we've been praying for a month because that's when the all of the planning and strategy and stuff was happening uh, between our group and their group and their leaders and our leaders and all that kind of stuff. And it was all pointing toward a meeting that happened yesterday. And uh, so we're lifting the fast. It doesn't mean that you have to stop praying, but you can start eating again if you want. Um, the meeting itself, was, it, it's hard to think of how it could have been better. I'll just put it that way. Um, we were trying to work toward a proposal, uh, like a, a like document, basically, that would go to both groups to be able to read through, pray through, discuss, um, if we need to like refine it. Um, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, we can, but, but the idea is, here's, here's the proposal, here's what it would look like for these groups to come together, here's all the details that, uh, of what this would look like on the other side of it, and, um, and then we, each group would run it through their own decision-making processes, which is essentially all of the covenant members uh, praying and discussing and being like, hey, do we feel like this is what God wants, and you, know, it's, you can call it a vote if you want to, but that feels so mechanical. Uh, it's really a decision that each each church family will make, and so this week, so we came away yesterday with a with a proposal that all these leaders feel good about. There, uh, we made a few adjustments, and so they're going to look at it this week, make sure that everything is cool, and then next weekend there'll be kind of like a like a detailed run through of what that would involve, and then we would set a date where everyone would vote down the road. So uh, that'll be coming your way. Uh, in a week, but you just need to know that it, uh, from our leader's perspective, it was, it couldn't have gone any better. Like we, it's just amazing. And so I think that you are going to be, you're really going to enjoy, I think, what God has put in front of us and stuff like that. So more details to come on that. Um, we just need to, we just need to get the final okay from them once we weren't in the room, if you know what I mean. But I was telling some, some folks earlier, like it was going so well that I got suspicious. And uh, at one point we were like, hey, all the Living Hope guys, we're just going to step outside and like, let you all talk. In, in case there's something going on and you're like, not quite comfortable saying it with us in the room. And they were like, oh, okay. And so we stepped outside for a minute and we came back in. And they were like, we're, we're fine. Like, this, we're, we mean it when we say we're fine. Like, 
okay. So I don't know why I'm, you have a little faith, I guess. But your fasting and praying has been, uh, has been effective. And so thank you for being faithful and for uh, really just believing that God is doing this thing and being willing to say yes to Him and to trust us to go into a room and represent you. Uh, means means a lot. So uh, we'll see we'll see what God's doing. But I have uh, I have no reason to feel like uh, it's not headed in the direction that we hope that it is. So um, so Advent right in Revelation twenty two you get to the end of the Bible and before I talk about this I want to kind of just clarify for a second because whenever you start talking about the second coming of Jesus uh, it it's this is one of those topics where people get a little nervous sometimes, you know. Like it's uh, it's been so uh, misrepresented that it's become something that's full of just weirdness and like uh, maybe things to be afraid of, and you're like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that, or you know, we've we've probably read too many of the wrong books or seen too many of the wrong movies, you know, starring Kirk Cameron, those kinds of things, where it's it's. It's not really what's what the scriptures say, and uh, to think about the second coming correctly is to is to think of it as uh, like we sang earlier. It's like a it's a bride waiting for her groom to come for for the wedding ceremony to come and get her, and uh, there's this arrival of our king that we're waiting on. And it's not something to be afraid of, but there are a lot of misconceptions and things like that, and. Uh, you know, Paul wants us to be encouraged by this, but sometimes we don't talk about it because we're afraid of it. Or there are people that are obsessed with it. That's like all that they think it is. Is like anytime, anytime someone goes into Israel and like shoots a spitball at someone, they're like, "Ooh, you know what that is? It's Revelation sixteen verse four. You know, it's like, no, that's not that's not really a thing. So the, let me talk about the the part of the second coming that tends to freak people out is this idea of the rapture. That at some point, we're all going to hear a really loud trumpet sound. And we're like, what's going on? And then we're going to go like flying through the air. And we're going to like get out of here as a part of the second coming. And then everyone is going to be left behind. And it's going to be terrible. And it's going to be wars and all this kind of crazy stuff. But we're going to get to leave it. You know, we're going to get out of here before that happens. And, but other people are like, no, we, we'll, we'll be here for the first half of it. And then he's going to come and get us out of here. And the other folks are like, no. We're going to be there for the whole thing. It's going to be all crazy. And then he's going to come and take us away. And there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about being taken away from here. Not, not in the way that it, it appears to read. If you look at the history of rapture theology, um, it all goes back to a guy who basically made it up. That's, that's basically what happened. He was a traveling evangelist, not having a lot of success over in Europe. Uh, came over to the United States and brought this idea with him. This interpretation of two passages of, of Scripture. A wrong interpretation. And it all comes from, there was a, he was in a revival meeting and there was a young lady that stood up and she had a vision of Jesus coming twice. Like his return, but it, him happening twice. He started looking at these Scriptures and he was like, and I'm not, I mean... I'm trying to beat the guy up. But he basically formed this whole belief system, came to the United States during the Civil War when everyone kind of thought the world was ending anyway, and it really just took off. Especially when the bottom line of the description is, um, hey, do you want to avoid all the terrible things 
You know? Jesus is going to come and he's going to take us away. We won't have to experience Armageddon and all these bad things, all these terrible things. He's going to take us out of here. Don't you want to escape? And they're looking around in the Civil War like, uh, yeah, I kind of like to get out of here. And it's stuck, or stuck around through the Moody Bible Institute. And there's like all these ways. And so there are, are these uh, study Bibles that are full of this. And then Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins like, were a, a part of believing in the system. And they wrote these books. And so there's all this obsession over getting raptured to the point where hymns written during, especially during that Civil War era, the end of them is all about getting out of here. Just leaving, being raptured and being taken away. and That's not really what's going on in the Bible. The second coming of Jesus is not about us getting out of here. It's about Him coming to us. It is a, it is a welcoming. It is not an escape. And so if there's any part of you that, that worries about getting left behind or anything like that, or if, you're, if you are a little bit fearful to think about Jesus coming again because to you it's full of all of these really bad, terrible things and you need to push that aside. 1 Thessalonians 4 and Matthew 24 contain those two passages that taught where, where this uh, rapture theology comes from and people think that it's about being taken away. But when you... When you study the context of those passages and when you, when you uh, do proper biblical scholarly work on them, it just doesn't hold water. It's not what he's talking about. That everything about the second coming involves Jesus being with us here on the earth and not getting us out of here. And it's dangerous to think otherwise. And so I apologize if Left Behind is your favorite book. <laughs> uh, it's, but it, it just, it's, it's dangerous. Because we need to be thinking about the second coming correctly. It's not about escaping. It's about Him coming to be with us. So, let's look in Revelation 22. Let's look at the last couple of things that Jesus has to say. Starting in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Now skip down to 20, only because 18 and 19 are about not adding to the Bible, and that's not really what we're here to talk about. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, verse 20, that says, Surely I'm coming soon. It's very easy to focus on the word soon. And that tends to bring up some confusion, some questions, and you're like, man, he said this a long time ago. Is there a different understanding of the word soon in, in Greek or Aramaic that I need to know about? It's like, no, it means soon. It's a little confusing because we think what soon is. And they took him very seriously. And so when they were like, when, if he's coming soon, then he's coming soon. And so they were ready. And it's been a long time since then. And so maybe soon should not be the focus of the verse. What's soon to God is not soon to us. And so there's probably some divine attribute stuff to consider in that word soon. Maybe the focal point of the verse should be the word surely. 
And it's not surely like sometimes we say it. We're like, I mean, well, surely he'll come, right? It's not that kind of surely. It's, a, it's, it's got a confident certainty to it. It's like, you can be sure that I am coming. That is an absolute certainty for you who are waiting. And this should be a regular part of how we think. Like this, not just at Advent, like all the time. The return of Jesus should be something that is uh, just, it's, it's on our minds and on our hearts constantly. And the fact that it isn't kind of shows the wisdom of the church fathers in building Advent into the calendar. Because I don't know if you think about it all the time. I don't think about it all the time. I've become over the years more, more of a like new earth thinker. You know, like that'll come into my logic and my, my thought patterns sometimes when I'm looking at a situation or whatever and I'm just trying to, I'm wrestling through something. I'm, I'm thinking about the new earth on the other side of the second coming, but the, the actual like inauguration of that, like his arrival here, is not something that's constantly on the front of my mind. But I believe that it should be for, for all of us. So if you look, look, at, look at verse 7, or look at verse 16 again. Jesus is, is reminding us who he is. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. So he's, by these things, he's talking about like everything up in, in the book of Revelation until then. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. If you go back through the scriptures, you find uh, Jesus referenced in those ways. And so he's saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm the guy that they were talking about. Like, I'm the... I'm the one that they were waiting for. I'm the promised Messiah. That's, that's who I am. I'm the one who has been giving this revelation. And look at verse 17. This is the response of the Spirit and the Bride. So the Spirit being Holy Spirit and the Bride being the church, their response to that is, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Like we, we need to be together. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And then it says, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to, to take the water of life without price. We'll talk about that in, in a few minutes. But he's, he's like explaining this, this reality of like, hey, I'm, I'm the promised one. And the response of the Bride is, come on. But that wedding imagery is helpful because uh, in their day, you know, I've talked about this before, the, whenever the engagement would happen, the bride would go and she would wait at her house with her bridesmaids. And the groom would go and he would add on a room to the family house. And that would take him as long as it took him. So if you had a lot of resources and you had a lot of uh, whatever, maybe it went quickly and maybe he had to work and save up money and that kind of stuff. Maybe it took a while. So sometimes brides would wait a short amount of time. Other times it would be a long, long time. But waiting was a part of being a bride. That was like a part of engagement. It's what you did. And it was worth it to wait. Because whatever he was off doing was going to be worth the wait whenever the wedding came around. And that is who we are. The bride in verse 17 is you and me. It is us. And some of you men may struggle to relate to that. Some of you ladies might relate very easily to that. But I think we can all kind of understand, like, hey, uh, we are waiting, and we don't know what, what is happening. We don't know, like, what the timeline is. And so we just need to wait faithfully, but confidently. So when we, when we sing songs about His return, we, 
We do so like a bride that's waiting. You know, there are, there are parts of the world where they won't sing um, Silent Night, Away in a Manger, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, like those kinds of like birth narrative songs. They won't even sing them until Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Because, it's, because Advent is not about that. Advent is about second coming songs. Some of the things we've sung tonight. Joy to the World. If you read the lyrics of Joy to the World, it is a, it is a second coming song. It's not a first, first arrival of Jesus' song. It's a second arrival of Jesus' song. And so they'll sing that one. That a part of what the church does at this time is we look forward because we are like that bride that's waiting. And so look at the, look at the, down the passage. Look at uh, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And look at the response of the bride again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus! Exclamation point. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's referencing a prayer of the New Testament church. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians 16.22, it's... That is, that is in, in that verse, uh, it's worded differently than it is here. There they say, Our Lord come, which is the same thing as come, Lord Jesus. And the way that they would, the way that they would say that in Aramaic is Maranatha. Maranatha. And so we kind of push those together. And maybe you've seen churches called Maranatha. Maybe you've seen that on a, on a banner in a church or something, a Maranatha. That's what it means. It's, it's come, Lord Jesus. It's Lord, uh, Lord, please come. It's, it's, that's the response of, of the church to the point where Paul doesn't, he doesn't even like quote it, like give a source for it. And he uses it in Aramaic because it was so common he didn't even have to. That the early church, one of their regular prayers was, come, Lord Jesus. Because they believed that he was coming any day now. And it seems like maybe over the years, we've kind of lost a little bit of that urgency, you know. And so Advent builds that urgency back in. So why would they respond this way? Like, why would that be the response? In, in verse 20, Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And their response is, amen, come Lord Jesus, exclamation point. He says, surely I'm coming soon. Why didn't they, why didn't they say, when? When? What's that? What's that going to be like? Are you sure? Can you give us more detail? They said amen, which means uh, it is true. We believe this. And their response was yes. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what we want you to do. You say you're coming, and we're like, yes, let's do that. Like We're, we're meeting you in that desire. We're meeting you in your plan. And I think that some of it is maybe clued in a little bit if in a different passage of Revelation. And I'm, I'm going to read it to you. I don't want you to turn to it. We're not going to put it on the screen. I just want to read it to you. That perhaps a part of the reason why they responded so quickly, Come, Lord Jesus. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So Paul is having this vision. God is letting him see something. And he's writing down what he is seeing. And God is giving him revelation about what the future holds. Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne 
saying, there's a quote, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So perhaps the reason why they said, Come, Lord Jesus, is because they, they were like, Well, that description, that sounds like where I want it to be. Like that, that's, I, want, I want that to be my, my reality. I want that to be my future. I want that to hurry up and get here. The, I'll read it again. The dwelling place of God is with man. He, dwells, uh, he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. As their God. You know, right right now, God's presence is here with us in fullness, just as full here as it is in heaven, but but there is a veil. You know, we don't we don't see that. We sense it, and sometimes sometimes that veil gets really thin, and those are amazing moments. But we're clueless about how close he is so much of the time. In the brokenness that we walk around in and we walk around with, and even though He has given us new hearts and He, is, he is, has changed our identity and He's renewing our mind, He's doing all these amazing things within us, there's still a veil that's there. We're still kind of clueless about Him and how good He is because of that veil. And so perhaps one reason why the New Testament church said, Come, Lord Jesus is because they were like, no, this is like a real thing that's going to happen. That that veil will no longer be there. That we will not wonder things that we're wondering right now. You know? That we, we won't have faith anymore. There will be no need for faith, because faith will be like sight in front of us. We won't need hope anymore, because our hope will have been realized. When Paul says, abide in faith, hope, and love, there's only one of them that carries over to the other side, and that's love. And so, for God's unveiled presence to be our reality, maybe that's what created some eagerness with that New Testament church. Maybe they were like, uh, I'm going to get on board with that. Maybe that's where the Amen, come Lord Jesus, originated. The next verse says, so now that He's like there, uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You ever had someone wipe a tear away from your eye? I don't know if I have. Um, but that sounds really personal, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> I, when I try to imagine what that would be like, I like naturally wince a little bit. <laughs> and I know, I've, I've said it before, I know like Eric Clapton wrote a great song about no tears in heaven and stuff, but this kind of says there will be tears, but maybe they're happy tears, you know? Like maybe maybe there's just a, there's just something where you're like that is just your reaction, and who comes up and wipes away your tears? Not some stranger, you know, that's like invading your personal space. It's it's not even your spouse trying to have a tender moment. This is God Himself, and I don't think that we'll wince. You know, I don't think we'll pull away, and I don't think it'll be weird. I think we'll be like, ah, I remember that verse. Come, Lord Jesus. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And it says, and death shall be no more. How about that one? You sick of people dying? Look, I can't even take dogs dying. You know? People are on a whole other level. So tired of sickness and death and uh, getting nervous when the phone rings. You don't recognize the number, you know, and... 
I've gotten those middle of the night phone calls and I, you know, like I have that PTSD, just like a lot of you do from, from being notified of, of terrible things that are, have gone on. And uh, I'm just so tired of it. And our future is, guess what? It's death free. There is no, there will be no dying and death, no sickness, none of that kind of stuff. No prayer times for healing, no need for any of that kind of stuff at all. And that should evoke a come Lord Jesus response in us. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That when Jesus comes, there is a, there is a passing away of, of every painful, awful, ridiculous thing in our world. Not only death and dying, but the pain that comes interpersonally between us, the ways that we are so good at hurting each other. It's all going to pass away. That all the brokenness, whether it's physical or spiritual or relational or emotional or mental, all the brokenness that we can think of just goes away with His arrival here. That evokes something. Verse, next verse says, but He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. That everything will be renewed. And so the, the rapture theology implies that, that in some instant we're all going to like fly up and go somewhere else. And then the earth is going like to self-destruct in some sort of way. And then, uh, that, but we won't have to experience any of it. And the truth is that, that in, even in the passage where it talks about us being carried up into the air, that is, like, that's a reference that we don't really understand. But if we lived in a city back then, or a town, and royalty was coming to town. They would send word ahead, and they would prepare the road, and everyone in the town would go out to greet the king. Because you can't just have a king come into the city, you got to like, you know, in like a coming to America kind of way, you like, let's get the rose petals going, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, lay down the, lay down whatever we need to do, let's go prepare the way for the king, and welcome the king in, so we go out to him, and then we come back into the city with him. And for, so for Jesus to come to us, the Bible says that he ascended, and where he ascended, he will also come back, and so even if there is some kind of like going, going up, it's in the spirit of going out to prepare the way for the king. And even if we do fly into the air for a second, guess where we're going? We're coming right back here. That he is coming to us here. And so it is not about escaping, it is about welcoming. And those are completely different scenarios. He says, I'm making everything new. I'm coming to this earth, make this broken place new. I'm taking all these broken people, I'm going to make them new. I'm going to take all these broken relationships. I'm going to restore every one of them, making them new. I'm going to take all your fear about God. I'm going to make that stuff new. I'm going to take all this brokenness and healing and and, and all this physical stuff, whatever. I'm going to bring healing to it. I'm going to make that new. Anything that you can come up with, he says, I'm going to make it all new. Behold, I'm making all things new. All things new. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Right? Like that's That's where it's coming from. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And I'm so glad he said to write it down. Even though, you know, Revelation can be weird sometimes, and it's supposed to be. It's a part of apocalyptic literature. It's supposed to be a little bit strange. But aren't you glad that we have things like this? 
I said, write it down. And he says, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You're, you're, you and I, are, we're just going to receive life from God forever, and we will not have to pay for it. That's not how, that's not how love works, you know. Love doesn't make you pay for it. He's like, forever, you will never thirst for anything. You'll never have a need for anything again. And it says, to the one who conquer, it says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I'll be his God, he'll be my son. Those are some of the ideas expressed in the Bible, grabbed onto by the New Testament church, that whenever the second coming came up, that is what would pop into their head. And their regular prayer was, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. They wanted it. They wanted it. Because they had in full view exactly what that meant. So I was thinking about that today. And those things, seeing Him face to face and entering our glorified state and no veil between heaven and earth, everything being made new, no more brokenness. But the one that just kept coming back to me over and over again was our first love being right in front of us. That being the dominant thought. Of all the great benefits that we will have from His second coming, they they all pale in comparison to being face-to-face with Jesus. Or at least they should. You know? That that is, that's the real come Lord Jesus moment. Never met a bride or a groom who a week before their wedding said, I don't know, I could, I could wait six months more, it's fine. No, they're, they are climbing the walls, right? So excited about that wedding. And if their spouse were to text them, like, hey, how about we wait six more months? Huh, what? There would be a problem with the relationship if that is what was going on. Because you don't want to delay a wedding. Do you? Do you? No, you don't want to delay a wedding. Why would you want to delay a wedding? That's what we're talking about with the second coming of Jesus. We're talking about a wedding. And if we are not anticipating that, and we're not just climbing the walls, I cannot wait, because we get to be face-to-face with our first love, then... Advent needs to do its work in us. And of course, you know, I mean, God needs to work through this season to reframe, to reorient us, and put that exclamation point on the end of Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha is a prayer of hope, not a prayer of defeat. It's so easy to do that. Have you ever, have you ever just like saw like a news report? And your first thought was, Lord, just Jesus come quickly. You know? And I'm not saying that's a bad response, it's a good response. But a lot of times that prayer is driven by, like, just get me out of here. I'm done with this place. Okay. But is it about us escaping or is it about us welcoming Jesus into the mess? That's what the second coming does. 
And there's really probably only one, one thing that, we, that should make us a little bit hesitant to say, come Lord Jesus. And that's the fact that there are a lot of people on this planet who don't know His name. Don't know His goodness. And there, that should create a tension within us of like, should I say, come Lord Jesus? Because there's a lot of people that when that happens, that's going to be a dark day for them. Yeah? I think Jesus understands that. I think He's like, yeah, that's why I told you what to do while you're waiting. But that does not mean that you should cease to be excited and anticipate and tell Him, I am ready for you to come. All the great benefits and getting to escape, all, all that kind of is fine, but my lead thought is I want to look you in the eye and I want to tell you with no veil between us exactly how much I love you and how thankful I am for what you have done. I cannot wait to be face to face with you and I'm going to cry my eyes out and you can wipe every, away every tear just like you said you would and that's going to make me cry more. That is what Advent is about. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So when He is our first and truest love, that prayer comes naturally. And so Advent, when it's practiced properly, uh, it, it kind of just does that for us. It does what it's supposed to do. I don't know if I, I don't know, can't remember if I've told you all this before. I've been doing this long enough now where I just repeat stories a lot, so just hang in there with me. But when the flood happened, like that, that fall, remember that? Anybody remember that? Uh, the flood happened and everything was crazy. And around thanks, it came Thanksgiving time, and we were, everyone was finally catching their breath just a little bit from the chaos, you know. And my, my parents' house flooded. They, were, they went to Kentucky to be with uh, my brother, who lives up there. And um, they were like, please come with us. And I was like, I don't think I can. And I really, you know, I couldn't. And then I have another brother that lives here. And so they were like, come, come to do Thanksgiving with our family, with Nicole's family. And I was like, no. Um, I, I think I'm just going to, like, I think I'm just going to, like, have some solitude, you know. And I was so excited about it a little bit of, like, because LSU played that night and everything. I was like, I'm going to cook me a killer meal. And I'm just going to, like, it's just going to be me. It's going to be awesome. And at the end of the day, I was so bummed. It was a terrible decision. And uh, so, but then I started to think, I was like, man, like, I just started to feel like, uh, like that was representative of something bigger. And so I started to pray and, and just, you know, talk to some of, my, some of my people, you know, and I was like, I think I'm depressed. You know, I don't, I don't, not in like a clinical depression, not in that sense, but I'm just, I think I'm just low, you know. And God just began to, to show me some things. And a part of it was that uh, from the moment that the flood thing started to become real, all the way through everything, that, that Jesus had become, he had just become like my, uh, my consultant for what to do. Because I'm like, God, I have no idea what to do as a pastor in a church that's flooded. I mean, a city that's flooded, I have no idea what to do. And, and so he just became who I went to for like solutions and ideas and all that kind of stuff. And, and it wasn't about loving him. It was just, he might as well have been a magic eight ball. You know, I might as well flip the coin about things. Um, 
And so I detached from the vine in that way, and I dried up. It just got to a point where I was like, I just never reconnected with him relationally. It was just mechanical. And so what happens right after Thanksgiving? Where Advent begins. So we get into Advent. And I'm not kidding you. By the, by the end of the Advent season, I was, I was back. And again, I'm not talking about... Like this was a, a, a kind of a spiritual depression, okay? But it impacted me across the board. And here comes Advent. And what does Advent have us do? It has us looking, looking at Him face to face. It has these ideas. And I'm, I promise you, it, it did what it was supposed to do. That that was, on the other side of it, that was my story was, yeah, no. Well, then Advent rolled around. And it, God did with Advent what He had in mind. And then we went from Advent into 30 days of prayer. And then we went from 30 days of prayer into family meeting time, where you start to have some real talk about planting a church and all these kinds of things. And then now, now here we are. Like All this stuff is happening. There's so much that has happened in that amount of time. And I'm not giving credit to Advent. <laughs> I'm saying that for Jesus to take this season and, and help us to get back to where we want to be, that's a part of, I think, why He built it in the calendar. And so... Uh, I want to encourage you to remember that your first and most true love, ahead of any friend, ahead of any spouse, ahead of any kids, ahead of, ahead of, of any sort of aspirations of career or anything else, ahead of any church, any, anything that you could list, your first and most true love. First and most true. He's coming for you. He's coming for us. And perhaps every day during Advent, we need to take a few moments and pray a Maranatha prayer. Say, come Lord Jesus. So I hope that you, in looking over the next couple of weeks, that the return of Jesus becomes more prevalent for us. We're going to talk about it on Sundays. Uh, we're going to sing about it. Uh, that's going to be a thing that we do. And I'll talk in a few minutes about the things we put our hands to as a church uh, are going to all reflect that. But for now, you know, one of the best Maranatha prayers that we can pray is by taking communion. When you take communion, uh, the Bible says that, that we do this and we proclaim His death until He comes. That communion pulls the future and the past into the present. And so we're going to take communion, and you can receive that. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know who's serving it tonight. I'm just going to trust that one of our elders is going to walk up here and do it. We rip the bread, we dip it in the juice. And when you are doing that, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. It is a future and a past thing brought into this moment. Your first and most true love. that You cannot wait to see Him face to face. You can, that's an option for you. You can stand and sing. You can come and kneel and pray. You can, you can tithe. And whatever your response is going to be, we're going to do that together to close out our first night of Advent. So let's stand as the band comes back up. Jesus, you did not have to give us a Bible. But you... I mean, you built and put everything together so that the scriptures would play the role they're supposed to play. And 
I'm grateful that we not only know what has happened in the past, but you've given us insight about what is ahead. And to think about uh, there being no more death or crying uh, because we're mourning, um, for all, those, all the broken things to pass away and for you to make things new, all that stuff is incredible and so thrilling. But nothing should be more thrilling than the idea of being face-to-face with you. With that comes all the other stuff. But that is the greatest gift that awaits us. And so, help us to identify with the Old Testament faithful who are waiting and anticipating. Help us to um, identify with that early church who responded to uh, this amazing, amazing news by saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And pray that as we sing, as we receive communion, as we pray, whatever it looks like for us before we break and dismiss tonight, that this would help us to, uh, to begin this season celebrated uh, with all the ways you had in mind. We can go through the motions or we can really look to you and say, God, will you use these responses to stir something in us? And so we're trusting you to do that. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. The communion table is open. Chase will be serving tonight. Come when you're ready as we sing and respond a little bit together.